Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Okay, so you're in James. Um, as you're there, there's one thing I want to do before we read actually from the scripture. I want to play a little bit of word association. You know how that works. I, I say a word and you yell at me the very next word that comes to your mind. You ready? Religion. What was that, Andrew? Christianity. Okay. I say religion. You say, mm, I can't make it out. Okay. Yeah, tradition. Okay. Uh, anybody thinking, yeah, anybody thinking stodgy? Anybody thinking stale? Worn out? Oh, Yeah. All my life, and I don't know what it was like in the moment before I came along, obviously, but all my life, religion has been a dirty word. It's been the thing you want to leave behind so you can do the real Christianity, right? The real, the real faith. And for a long time, I thought, well, we have that wrong. Well, let's check James. Let's check. James is a straight shooter. If you know nothing else about the Apostle James, he's going to give it to you straight. So let's check James chapter 1. Verse 26, and see what Scripture has to say about religion. James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. <laughs> so if you're thinking stale, stodgy, not worth much, that's okay. That's all right. Actually, Scripture describes a religion that we're better, better off without. It's worthless. And if you stop at James 1.26, you would have exactly half of what God wants us to see on this topic of religion from Scripture. So let's roll on into verse 27 of James 1. Religion that is pure and undefiled. Did you know there was such a thing as a religion that is pure and undefiled? Well, Scripture says there is. Because you see, religion is not the problem. Religion is also not the solution. Religion is simply the working out of one's faith. And that can be done well or that can be done poorly. Let's keep reading. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father simply involves two things. Number one, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And number two, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, anybody who knows me even a little bit knows I'm all about that first thing. It has, it, it has become my life's calling and one of my highest ambitions to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And anybody else who's suffering those same disadvantages and to call others into the work. And about 10 weeks ago, I looked ahead in our Bible reading pro program, and I looked ahead in our teaching schedule, and, and I requested this preaching date for today. And it was going to be all about that, that first thing. Two and a half months ago, my plan was to make this sermon a bold-faced, unapologetic recruiting tool to draw others into this work of serving the orphan and the widow. But in the intervening weeks, the Lord has convinced me that he has something way better than what I could come up with 
for us today. And it's not different than what we just saw in James 1.27. It simply involves having a better understanding of what was on the Father's heart when he commissioned these words to go out. And the essential clue for gaining such an understanding is found in the very verse that we're, we're, we're looking at right now. We read, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father... Now, of all the titles God could have breathed out for himself, what might some of those have been? The Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, the majesty on high. Those are all legitimate. Those are from Scripture titles for God. But what title did he choose? He chose Father. I'm convinced and had been convinced. I won't describe the whole process that the Lord's brought me through in the last several weeks, but I'm convinced that he would have us today examine the state of fatherhood in our time, in our culture, in the church, and look really hard at what the Lord has to say about it. I won't give you all the evidence. I could give you quite a bit, but I'll give you just this shot from Lamentations chapter 5. Verses 1 through 3. Don't sweat it, Randall. You don't have a slide for this one. This is all just for free. Lamentations 5, the prophet Jeremiah, is describing one of the darkest times in the history of the people of God. And he writes this. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. Who's missing? The fathers. The men, the husbands, who are fathers. That's who's missing in this verse. And, and I got to wondering, like, well, is it okay, Lord, if I say fatherless instead of orphan? Well, Scripture says it ten times more than orphan. Scripture says fatherless. And I'm pretty confident if we were still doing word association, if I said widow, you would think first of a woman whose husband has died rather than a man whose wife has died. So I don't think I need to make any apology, not on the Lord's part, certainly, and, and I don't think even on my part when I say this, God puts a weight on fatherhood that is entirely lost in our time. It's... It's loss. If we're going to work out our faith well, if we're going to practice a religion that is pure and undefiled, if we're going to keep ourselves unstained from the world, and we've got to step out of what the world says about fatherhood and step in to what God has demonstrated throughout eternity. The plan this morning is to convince every one of us here in this room of the essential nature of fatherhood in humanity. And I'm going to start in a place I'll bet you didn't expect, and that is demonstrating the essential nature of fatherhood in divinity. How about that? I'll put it like this. Have you ever wondered what, how God feels about being a father? If not, it's okay. It's kind of a quirky thought, but, but roll with me here. Have you ever thought about how God feels about being a dad? Well, thankfully, we have, we have a record. We have, it's not really hard to find out 
how God feels about being a father. If you've read anything at all in the Gospels, if you only got three chapters deep into the Gospel of Matthew, the first Gospel, you would have read about Jesus going to the River Jordan to be baptized. And he came up out of the water, and there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Do you hear a proud papa in that? Same gospel, Matthew chapter 17. Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. Jesus is transfigured and his glory shines through. And then suddenly it's not just those four, but also Moses and Elijah. And there's a a cloud of glory and Peter's just like babbling out stuff. And the father breaks through and says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I think God enjoys being a dad. The gospel record says yes. And, and then from Jesus' perspective, have you ever wondered how Jesus felt about having a dad? Well, let's check the gospels again. Gospel of John, the, the fourth of four, chapter four. Jesus is talking to the, the Samaritan woman at the well outside the, the town of Sychar. Now, the, the disciples, they've gone into town to get some lunch, and they come back, but Jesus isn't hungry. Oh, I have food to eat that you don't know about, Jesus says. And the disciples are like, did you feed him? I didn't feed him. Did you feed him? I didn't feed him. Like, and Jesus, my food, Jesus says, is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. His very nourishment was to do what his dad sent him to do. Again, Gospel of John, chapter Chapter 7, Jesus is teaching in the temple courts, and the people are astounded, right? They're marveling at what Jesus says. They're marveling at the person he is, and and they begin to wonder out loud, and they say, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? It's Jesus, right? But Jesus doesn't skip a beat. My teaching is not mine, he says, but his who sent me. A 21st century parallel has it maybe like this. I got that from my dad. You think Jesus enjoyed having a dad? Again, the the gospel, look at John 17, an entire chapter of prayer. Jesus' high priestly prayer. And how many times does he say, the Father and I are one? Bragging on his dad. Wants all of us to be like him, so we'd be like his dad. Imagine if you're able God in eternity, and he and the Son and the Holy Spirit are cooperating on this wild idea called time and the universe and creation and humanity that will bear the image of God. And they know that humanity is going to need, there's going to need to be a plan of redemption. And God says, even in this plan of redemption, I get to be a dad. If that seems like a far-fetched idea, just just keep reading through the Gospels. It's it's all over the place. And what can this be other than God demonstrating the essential nature of fatherhood even in divinity? So what about humanity? Is is fatherhood essential there as well? Or maybe can we we do without it? Is the the world right and, and dads are just, you know, maybe an ornament at best or that's at best? Well, to start, 
we're going to have to go to uh, kind of an ominous note. Uh, here's your Bible quiz question for today. Can anybody tell me what the very last word of the Old Testament is? Destruction. Can anybody tell me what the next to the last word of the Old Testament is? Utter. Ugh. Put them together and what do you got? Utter destruction. Exactly. Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. These are the last words God delivered through the prophets before launching his people into that awful 400-year period of silence. This is what he had to say. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Dear friends, any Bible passage that starts with behold and ends with utter destruction is worth us taking a good hard look at. And if that Bible passage goes into 400 years of crickets, so much the more. What's God getting at that, getting at here? Well, one, one thing. Yes, I am a Bible geek, but I'm not saying this just because I'm a Bible geek. There are dozens of translations of the Bible just in English. And with smartphones, mobile technologies, digital technology, we have access to all of them in a matter of seconds. If perchance you had a Bible app open, or yeah, if you had Bible app open and, and you're reading a version that put the word parents, why read fathers? You're reading a bad translation. It's probably not all bad, but somehow or another that translation committee let themselves get wrapped up in something other than a faithful translation of the original language, and they sucked the meaning. Right out of that verse, God is speaking to us about male progenitors of, of children. So what's the crux of the matter when we read Malachi 4, 5, and 6? This, this ominous note, well, it's this. Utter destruction awaits unless the hearts of fathers are turned to their children. If that statement strikes a Holy Spirit witness in anybody, can you give me a, a boom, an amen, something, just some nod, anything to, to indicate that I'm not the only one in the room who sees it this way? Am I saying anything God hasn't already said? Utter destruction awaits unless the hearts of fathers are turned to their children. If we had time, I could give you example after example after example from Scripture, of dads who ducked out and bad stuff happened real fast. Even Abraham was a knucklehead at times. And David, there's a study in itself. Can you imagine the title on the study guide? David as father, what not to do, mostly. That's from Scripture. Furthermore, from a couple of decades of counseling experience, and heck, from just six-plus decades of living with eyes open, I can tell you this. When a dad checks out, armies of well-meaning people with big, fat bank accounts cannot replace him. And just to make sure, 
Just to make sure you know I'm not just wagging a bony old finger at everybody else. I'll confess. I've stepped out of the dad role myself at times. Destruction was immediately pounding on the door. And what's more, I've stepped into situations and tried to make some dads unnecessary, only to make matters exponentially worse. It just works that way. So, so what's the prognosis here? I've taken us to this ominous note in Malachi. What is the prognosis? Well, there is a lest. There is an unless. There is a comma and then something to look at. Like, how can we avoid utter destruction? I don't believe utter destruction is our destiny. It's simply because God would not leave us utterly without hope. There's, there's got to be a way. Do we see destruction? Yeah, absolutely. And, and more now than, than, than ever before. I was looking at some stats the other day on uh, mass shootings in the U.S. And there's an organization that tracks those from like 1955 onward. And, and I thought, well, I'll just tally this up, right? So I'm just counting in ones and twos and threes. And I get to the last two years and I have to start counting in dozens. Yes, we see destruction. We see it getting worse. That's the wake-up call. That's, that's the thing to finally bump the church out of thinking like the unsaved world. There's a thing going on in fatherhood. Fatherhood has been devalued to an all-time low. You want to you commentary on that? Go talk to some counselors in pregnancy care centers. Got to stop thinking like the world when it comes to fatherhood. No, I don't believe utter destruction is our destiny. And here's another thing. I, I, one thing I do believe. I believe a lot of the destruction that has happened already can be redeemed. So what the Lord sent me to do here today is engage this church in the work of redeeming fatherhood. To take all these many and varied situations, these circumstances that are just, we think they're out of control, we think they might be even uh, irredeemable. No. They're not. They're not. So I'm going to be addressing two groups from this point forward. I'm going to address those of us who are dads and, and everybody else. <laughs> and I'm going to start with everybody else because I want to land on dads. I was in the, the sanctuary yesterday, and uh, yes, I prayed. I also set out all those annoying slips of paper all those little scraps you've been trying to not wad up. You like try to get polite and not sit on it. And I, I don't know what you've done with it in the, in, these, in the hour or so we've been here, right? But here's what I'd, I'd like for you to do with that slip of paper. Or a prayer card or a note-taking app on your phone. Whatever works best for you. Write down the names of five men. Not just any five men. But five men you know personally who have sons under the age of 25, at least one son under the age of 25. So we have five men you know personally, and I probably should have done this early on to give you a little more time to think and pray over it. Five men who have at least one son under the age of 25. And while you're thinking and praying, 
I'll go on. Why do I insist on praying for dads who have young sons? Well, many, many reasons, but I'll give you three just real quick. There's a spirit of anger loose in the world. My mom brought it up a few years ago, and I went, oh, you're right, there is. A spirit of anger loose in the world, and that anger attaches itself disproportionately to young men. How's that for an understatement? You know why I was looking up those statistics on mass shootings in the U.S.? To find out how many of the shooters were female. In the past 67 years, you know how many of those shooters were female? Four. Four. Does that anger attach itself disproportionately to young men? Yes, it does. That's one reason. Secondly, I was looking at another study that tracked trends in the labor force in America. There's another prickly subject. Going into the year 2020, among prime working age males, that's men 25 to 50 years old, the workforce participation rate was 68%. 32% of prime working age men in this country are not engaged in the labor force at any level. And those are pre-pandemic numbers. And the third reason is simply this. Why are we praying for, for dads who have young sons? Because those young sons, those boys and those young men who are sons right now, they're very likely to become dads themselves. They simply need good and godly examples set before them. All of us who are dads need all of you praying for us. We need it a lot. There's some stuff we're up against. I'm going to get into that in, in just a second. There's some stuff we're up against that, that maybe, maybe a lot of you folks wouldn't think about if I didn't call attention to it. Whether you've got five names or not, let's go with, with what you got. And we're going to take 60 seconds and pray for those men right here, like we've been doing. We're, we're trying to be a praying church. You might pray quietly in a whisper or even silently. I don't think we need to yell out, oh, God, get a hold of that lunkhead, will you? But yes, I think we could take, just to get us started in that direction, 60 seconds to pray for those men. You know what? I'm going to turn off my mic, Randall, for 60 seconds, just in case I break my
No, I was getting uh, I was getting kind of preachy there, but mainly I want to say this. Thank you. Thank you for praying for us. The other way I'll engage all of us is there are three initiatives I'm working on right now. Uh, two new projects and one that has been ongoing and will continue, I hope, for a while. Ways we can in involve this church, engage this church as a body of believers in the work of redeeming fatherhood. And I, I don't have time to explain them all three right now today. So what I'll be doing is I'll be writing about those in the email newsletter over the next three weeks. If you don't have that newsletter, if you're not getting that yet, I'm pretty sure there's a, a way on the homepage, Cobblestone homepage, to sign up and get that. And I'll explain thoroughly what those initiatives are. And I'd be happy to also be working with Stacy uh, to get publicizing done so the good communic communicators in this church, I can't even say it, let alone do it. So the good communicators in this church, which gets you good information, I promise. So that was everybody else. How about the dads? Oh, gosh, I hope, hope fellows didn't bolt during that 60 seconds of prayer. I guess dude's just getting wound up. I'm not sticking around for the punchline. It'll be okay, fellas. Come back. It may hurt, but it'll hurt good. You and I know how that works. So here we go. We have dads in this church from, I guess, late teens through 80-something. Some of us are not only dads, but also grandfathers and, and even great-grandfathers. Dads of all ages. Are you ready? We've all heard it said somewhere, at least once, that a man can go 30, maybe 40 days without food. A man can go three, four days without water. Or you can even go three or four minutes without air before brain damage starts to kick in, which may explain a lot. Fellas, I know the two things you and I cannot do without, even for three or four minutes. Two things that are more essential to us, more needful to us, than even the air we breathe. One is affirmation, and the other is discipline. Seems an odd combination, doesn't it? Um, but I can only tell you the truth. Affirmation, we don't use that word a whole lot. What's that mean? Attaboy. You're rocking it, son. Come on. Don't give up. I really don't think I know a man who can go a full week without doing at least one thing commendable. Affirmation, without which we quickly shrivel. It doesn't make us shallow. It just makes us the way God made us. Well, how about discipline? <laughs> how about that discipline? Oh, then there's discipline. Well, I think we've all seen enough by now that we can say that an undisciplined dad is a struggling dad. It just works out that way. Dads are like, <laughs> dads are like Ducati motorcycles. Best tool for the job, and they need constant input. 
I've ridden a few of those Ducati motorcycles. You do not play on your phone and ride a Ducati at the same time. You are in the weeds so fast. Right. Just don't. We need that constant, continuous input. Now, here's the thing. The world would say that affirmation and discipline are mutually exclusive. It's the difference between approval and disapproval. Like, if you're being affirmed, then you're being approved. If you're being disciplined, then there's disapproval. You lunkhead. There will be no affirmation for you. That's not true in the life of a Christian. Indeed, God says exactly the opposite. Take a look at Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6. And it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. The discipline confirms the affirmation. The discipline gives authenticity to the affirmation. The discipline establishes sonship. That's how it works in the life of a Christian man. Because God doesn't do participant ribbons but he does do sanctification. And Romans 8.29 is true. He will most assuredly conform us to the image of his beloved begotten son. So what then stands between a man and the affirmation he needs? I'll tell you what it is. A lie. A big, fat, sloppy lie dripping with all the stench and slime of hell. And it sounds something like this. What makes you think you deserve anything like affirmation? Does that sound familiar? Do you ever hear the voice that says, oh, you know, if you go anywhere near this father of yours, he's just going to remind you what a hot mess you are. You ever get that one? Okay. So what are we supposed to do with that? Well, let's take a look at how it worked. Take a look at how it worked in the life of Jesus. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, you can see a theme running through those temptations when you line them up end to end, right? And it's not in black and white in the scripture, but you can pick up on this theme. And it goes something like, Ooh, Jesus, looks like your dad has deprived you of food for 40 days already. How's that working out for you? And will you tell me again, Jesus, why your father hasn't given you authority over all these kingdoms yet? You know, he's, he's hogging all the glory for himself. And, and, and you're, what, 30 years old already? Jesus, come on, you know. Most guys hit their stride before now. Your, your dad must be so disappointed in you. What effect did it have on Jesus? Zero. Zero. It doesn't have to have that effect on us. Doesn't have to be that way at all. Just last week, Andrew had us looking at Hebrews 12 too. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. How on earth did Jesus 
endure the cross and come out victorious through a long history of affirmation from his father. When Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, where had he just been? Matthew's gospel records zero events between Jesus coming up out of the waters of baptism. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased and going into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When Jesus set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem to offer himself up there to be crucified, where had he just been? On the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The father knew it would take that affirmation. It would take that to carry his son. That's what a good dad does. To carry his son through the trials he was about to face. Hello, sons. Affirmation and discipline. In, in the perfect, in the perfect Mix. And where is Jesus now? The same verse says he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is a channel of affirmation, brothers, that is always open and always available to us. Now, God has designed many various channels through which a man may receive, rightfully and righteously, credit for being a good dad when we are. But we know not all of those channels work all the time. We also know there's a temptation when those channels don't work to blame somebody at the other end of the line. Oh, my wife, my kids, my boss, they don't know how good they got it, right? Can we stomp that for a bit? Because we do have that one channel ever and always that is open and available and clear and online. That's the affirmation from our Father. I want to show you a long ago dad. He wrote a psalm, Psalm 27. If you'd like to open up to that, you can. This long ago dad cried out to the Lord. And he said, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. That psalmist, that dad was David whose fatherhood boo-boos are thoroughly documented in the Bible. Why would David call out to the Lord anyway? It's for the affirmation, boys. He goes on to say in that same psalm, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Does that sound like a man who got slapped around every time he got close to his father? No way. David was only a good father when he tuned in to his own father. And I don't mean Jesse. His father, our father. He even closes out this psalm by making a, a recommendation. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. My, oh, my. Fellas, we've got to push past the lie and seek the affirmation of our Father. 
his adoration, his discipline, all as a beautiful bundle. We're allowed to do that. <sighs> My history as a dad is weird. It's not totally unique. But it's really, really unusual. I, I was a dad, and then I wasn't. And what I mean is, I became a dad five days short of my 21st birthday. But Kay and I lost our firstborn when he was 14 months old. And I was no longer a dad. Fellas, don't give up on being dad. It's awful. 14, 22 months later, uh, his little sister came along, and I was terrified. I could find no reason to believe that I would be any better a dad than I had been before, except for one. That in those intervening 22 months, actually the day I became not a dad, the Lord saved me. He received me as a son. And I figured, well, that's got to count for something. So when my daughter was about five months old, I, I will call out to the father. And I really didn't know what was going to happen. But he led me out into the woods. And he set me down at the base of a big tree. I had a Bible in my lap. And the father led me to the first two verses of Scripture I ever memorized as a Christian dad. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. In that moment, I realized oh, that channel's open. With that encounter and thousands more, I've become confident in the Father's love and his support and his discipline and his leading as I live out life as a, as a man, as a husband, as a dad, and now as a grandfather. Fellas, turn your hearts to the Father because his heart is already, already turned to you. I want to call the worship team back up and... This will be a, a surprise to David. So could you guys clue him in as you tell him like, hey, John just called you back up. Because, um, yeah, come on this way, Amanda, because I'm asking for a special request. Could, could we sing Graves in the Gardens again with whatever you got, right? Dave, you got a guitar. Amanda, you were singing lead on it anyway. And one reason I ask it, oh, hello, fellas, is when we were singing that earlier today, I saw a brother doing a fist pump in that song. You turn graves into gardens. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah. And it seems like we're ready to receive the Father's affirmation, some of us, maybe for the first time. If we can respond and worship that way, whoo, glory, hallelujah. Love it. Love it. If we respond in a quieter fashion, well, that'll be okay too. Let's just enter back into that song. I, I wish I could go through 
and give you a thorough history of this Bible letter called James. We just don't have time. It's fascinating. Suffice to say, as much as our forebears needed it in the first century, we need it 20 centuries more. Even way back then, James, again, straight shooter that he was, he made sure to remind all these scattered Christians in James 4.4, he said, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? To cuddle up with the world and have these same ideas on, on fatherhood puts you at odds, puts us at odds with God if we do that. And conversely, if, we, if we're willing to say, I have a young friend who's in the room right now who's on the front lines in this fight against generational poverty and hunger and gun violence and destitution of many kinds. Thank you. He will be the first to tell you that fatherlessness is at the root of every one of those problems and name the big problem. That's what's at the root. And friends, it's not just out there in that part of town. Deficiencies in fatherhood affect every family to some degree. But we know, but we know where the affirmation and the discipline are. We know what prayers to pray. And if we don't know exactly the words, Romans 8, 26 and 27 says the Holy Spirit will fill in the words even we don't know. And he's praying for us in accordance with the will of God. That's Bible promise. You want a solution to any kind of deficiency as a dad or in a family with the dad? Here's where we go, to our source. The one who turns graves into gardens, bones into armies. Sees into highways, turns regrets into lessons, turns the punishment into discipline. Those things are not the same. And brings about the sanctification, brings about the fulfillment of the promise God makes or the things he declares about himself. Say in Psalm 100 verse 5, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. It is there and it is available. You can respond. There are going to be prayer counselors come up, uh, I guess. And you've seen the, the elders here up on the, the platform. We're going to be circulating around someplace. We look for any of those. Anybody who needs prayer for any reason, any men who are dads, maybe like this is the time, like find a, a, another elder, another Christian who can say, will you get me, help me get pointed in the right direction? If you go out a particular trail in Houston Woods, one of them down close to the dam, you know, the lake, you know, you might actually find that same tree. I was sitting at some 37 years ago now. But one thing's for certain, all of us together, our job, our calling is to cooperate with God our Father in redeeming fatherhood one dad at a time. Father, of all of all the names, of all the names, we love you. Glad for all the terms of endearment. You are creator. 
you are a sustainer. You are the lover of our souls. You are the one who gives life and hope. You are the one who builds faith. You are the one who keeps your promises. Our favorite is Father. Well, I know there's so... There's one story for every person in this room. So many situations, great dads, lousy dads, absent dads, unknown dads. And yet through all generations, you're a father. Lord, help us to punch through the lie, to lean into. I call out on behalf of my sisters as well, Lord. I think of those words the old uh, theologian J.I. Packer would start most of his days with. He'd say, "Uh, I'm a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. And each day is one day closer. My Savior is my brother. And all Christians are my brothers and sisters as well. Lord, give us a better understanding than we've ever had, please, of the family of God, the household of the everlasting Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.